morning. I'm Anna Kukulberg. It's Tuesday, December 7th. Fentanyl deaths have more than quadrupled in San Diego County since 2018. More on that next, but first, let's do the headlines. San Diego County public health officials reported more than 1,000 new COVID-19 cases last Friday, marking a relative increase in daily case counts overall. With the emergence of a new viral variant, there's worry about another winter surge and hospitals are preparing. Dr. Francesca Torriani is an infectious disease specialist at UC San Diego Health. She says outbreaks are still happening in schools, which is being brought home. Unlike, you know, early on in the pandemic, now we're finding that children are transmitting to their parents. Officials say you should be responsible when traveling and the best way to protect yourself from infection is getting vaccinated. Over the weekend, an appeals court ruled that San Diego Unified School District's COVID-19 vaccine mandate is in the best interest of students and that there's no religious discrimination in the mandate. The lawyer for the Scripps Ranch High School student trying to stop the mandate says they'll take the case to the U.S. Supreme Court. The San Diego City Council ousted Jen Campbell as council president on Monday in a surprise move. She's been replaced with council member Sean Elo Rivera. Campbell was elected council president in 2020, and odd-year elections usually nominate and retain the incumbent. But five council members voted against giving Campbell a second year. In San Diego's strong mayor form of government, the council president is one of the city's most powerful elected officials. They're responsible for setting council agendas, doling out committee assignments and running council meetings. From KPBS, you're listening to San Diego News Now. Stay with me for more of the local news you need. Hi, I'm Beth Accomando, KPBS arts reporter and host of the Cinema Junkie podcast. I'm also a geeky gourmet who likes to bake food themed to the movies I watch, like chocolate blood to savor with Dracula. Or an extra chewy Wookiee cookie to enjoy with Star Wars. I'm geeky about the things I love, and that makes me a public radio geek as well. I love being able to connect with audiences just like you through TV, radio, the web, and podcasts like the one you're listening to right now. So, are you a KPBS geek? If so, then I'm asking you to get in touch with your inner nerd and become a member of KPBS today. Just go to kpbs.org and click the blue Give Now button and make a donation. That's right, let's geek out together about the things we love. Fentanyl is a deadly trifecta. It's cheap, it can be easily disguised as a different drug, and it's 50 times more potent than heroin. And the numbers show the challenge health officials are facing. Fentanyl overdoses have more than quadrupled in San Diego County since 2018. KPBS's Katie Stiegel has more. There really is no safety net out here on the streets. Amy McClarty survived homelessness and addiction, and she wanted her best friend Josh Palmer to be able to say the same. But each push from her was met with an empty promise he wasn't ready to get clean. Her last words to him were that she'd see him later. There was always going to be a see you later. Always was supposed to be a see you later. And um, I'm not going to see him later. 
Palmer died of a fentanyl overdose in March on the steps of the Fraternal Order of Eagles, just off the bustling University Avenue in Hillcrest. Data from the San Diego County Medical Examiner's Office shows at least 446 people died in 2020 with fentanyl in their system. That's four times higher than in 2018. Nine months into the year, and already more people have died with fentanyl in their systems than last year. By the end of August 2021, at least 534 people have died with fentanyl in their system. Even more people are expected to die by year's end, says Dr. Luke Bergman. He's the director of San Diego County's Behavioral Health Services. It's really hard to say when, you know, the epidemic curve is going to turn. Um, we're continuing to see increases. It's very difficult to, to control supply, right? Particularly with fentanyl, because it's so strong, it's odorless, it's colorless, it's very easy um, to transport as an illicit narcotic. It's very easy to hide in other substances because of that. So it, it represents a, a challenge. The disheartening truth is these deaths are mostly avoidable because the antidote, naloxone, is easy to access. But misinformation about the drug and stigmas about addiction prevent people from helping someone who's overdosing. So says Dr. Ryan Marino, a Cleveland-based addiction medical specialist. People don't deserve to suffer or die, anything like that, just because, because they use drugs. Um, and so to me, this is just more stigma that, that kind of hurts people with, with substance use disorders and addiction and even people who just casually use drugs. Um, and prevents them from getting appropriate treatment. Misinformation can also impact the loved ones of those who die of fentanyl overdoses. Diane Hotchkiss lost her husband, Derek, to a $15 hit of fentanyl in 2019. But she says the man she knew was already gone when he died. I realized, though, he was too far gone. His personality was gone. When her husband overdosed, Hotchkiss vividly remembers calling 911, hoping paramedics could help. They were the ones that let me know, like, hey, you have a one-year-old here. Like, if he touches it, he will die instantly. She and Dominic left their home the day Derek died and never returned. Marino said the team did not have the correct information. Any drugs, I mean, near an infant can be problematic. Um, but it, it's not something that is going to get into your body unless you are injecting or snorting it. Uh, it, it doesn't just cross through the skin. It isn't just getting into the air. Since a Democratic majority took over the Board of Supervisors, Bergman with the county says they've shifted their treatment methods towards a model to reduce the likelihood of harm for drug users. That can include naloxone, clean tools to inject with, primary care, shelter, and showers. The spirit of it is getting people what they need and what they want. Uh, even if they're not uh, in a particular moment able to commit to uh, uh, a trajectory towards abstinence. Those changes came too late for people like Josh Palmer and the Hotchkiss family. Whether they make a dent in the number of overdoses in future years remains to be seen. And that was KPBS's Katie Stiegel. Four hundred thousand people across the state have applied for rent relief in California, but the state's only given relief out to less than a third of those who applied. KQED's Kate Wolf reports. 
As the eviction moratorium came to a close this fall, the state encouraged anyone who had outstanding rent payments to apply for rental assistance to stave off an eviction. But months later, hundreds of thousands of tenants and landlords are still waiting on help from the state. Deborah Carlton is with the California Apartment Association and says long-pending applications are frustrating for landlords with expenses of their own. We're seeing cases where the application just shows submitted and being processed, but it's taking too long. A spokesman for the state maintains that the agency is turning around most applications in 30 days, but they get different priority based on tenant income, and the process can be slowed down by incomplete forms. And that was KQED's Kate Wolf. Coming up, California is among some of the states with the strictest gun control laws in the country, but a new investigation shows that the state failed to take guns away from thousands of domestic abusers. We'll have that story next, just after the break. Hello, podcast listener. Full disclosure, I'm going to make some assumptions about you. This probably isn't the only podcast you enjoy. Blink if I'm right. (laughs) It's probably not the only thing you watch or listen to on KPBS either. If I'm right about that, then I'm guessing you make it a point to check in on a regular basis to see what's new, take in the latest and greatest, and then you go back to your daily life until we happily come together again. We're sort of like a virtual buffet. When you're hungry for information and entertainment, you go to KPBS and want to eat, uh, consume all you can, right? Well, you should know that when you become a member of KPBS, you're keeping the entire TV, radio, and online trays full of fresh ideas, like the tasty podcast you're enjoying right now. Help feed your appetite for KPBS. Become a member today. Just go to kpbs.org, click the blue Give Now button, and make a donation. Thank you. California arguably has some of the toughest gun control laws in the country, but it often struggles with enforcing those laws. A new investigation from CalMatters finds that the state failed to take guns away from thousands of domestic abusers, and those failures can have deadly consequences. And a warning, this story has some disturbing descriptions of domestic violence. Robert Lewis of CalMatters reports. Kelly Gray's mom knew something was wrong. Kelly had grown distant after meeting her husband. But when she did reach out, like in this 2018 voicemail, she tried to sound normal. Hey, Mama, I was giving you a call back and wanted to say hi and tell you that they were about to get on and get something to eat. But um, uh, everything's good. I haven't had the baby yet. So I will talk to you soon, though. I'll let you know. All right. Love you. Bye. What Kelly's family didn't know was that her husband was keeping her a virtual prisoner in their Central Valley home, beating her with anything he could grab, a fire poker, steel-toed boots, even a hairbrush. Shortly after that voicemail, he allegedly drove her into the orchards outside town, kneeled her down, and put a gun to her head, ordering Kelly to say goodbye to the kids. Her mother, Jody Williams, says they learned just how bad it was when Kelly escaped to a shelter last year. When you close your eyes and you think about what she had to have gone through and, you know, 
home alone in the dark with him. You know, that's... That's nasty. Kelly got a temporary domestic violence restraining order from the Madera County Family Court. State law requires anyone who is the subject of such orders to surrender their firearms. That's because research shows abuse is much more likely to turn deadly when the abuser has a gun. Callie told the court that her husband was always armed. She mentioned the orchard incident. But what Callie probably didn't know when she begged for protection was that California's family courts and law enforcement often fail to take weapons away. This has been going on, of course, far too long because too many lives have been lost and we know what needs to be done. Julia Weber is with the Giffords Law Center, a gun control organization. She says judges can hold hearings on guns. They can hold an abuser in contempt if they don't surrender their firearms. California is looked to as a state that has the right policies, the best policies, the safest policies with respect to firearms and domestic violence in place. But she says the state's failing to live up to those laws. And the reasons are myriad. Turnover among judges, not enough resources for extra hearings, lack of communication with local law enforcement. The result is that state records show nearly 4,600 people appear to still have a gun, despite being the subject of a restraining order. And those are just the people with registered weapons. Tragically, we know that these policies are not being fully implemented. At a June 2020 hearing on Callie's restraining order request, a judge ordered her husband, Julio Gray, to stay away. But in spite of all her warnings about his gun, warnings included in her case file, the judge asked just one question about firearms. Quote, Sir, there's no information that you have any guns or firearms or ammunition. Do you think you have any of these items? Julio's reply, no. Good morning. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen of the jury. I appreciate uh, you folks being prompt. The tragic story uh, and, uh, of Callie Gray culminated in this same Madera County courthouse a few weeks ago when Julio Gray went on trial for her murder. On July 14th last year, he stalked Callie to a doctor's appointment and shot her when she came out as she was loading their kids into a minivan. The loss devastated her family, who hoped she'll be remembered as a sweet soul who died protecting her children. Again, Callie's mom. She made me happy. I love being her mama. I love being her mama. The jury found Julio guilty. He was sentenced last month to life without parole. After the verdict, the judge read aloud another standard court order, telling Julio if he had any guns, he'd need to surrender them. And that was Robert Lewis from CalMatters. And that's it for the podcast today. Be sure to catch KPBS Midday Edition at noon on KPBS Radio or check out the Midday Edition podcast. You can also watch KPBS Evening Edition at 5 o'clock on KPBS Television. And as always, you can find more San Diego news online at kpbs.org. I'm Annika Colbert. Thanks for listening and have a great day.